Pearson Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. We tend to see a lot of the same pathology and therefore tend to have a lot of the same conversations, give our patients the same spiels. Well, let's say there was a way for them to hear that spiel, that information, before they even see you. This urologist entrepreneur has a way. Stay tuned to find out more. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. On today's episode, we have Dr. David Keynes. He's a board-certified fellowship-trained urologist, subspecializing in urologic oncology and robotic surgery. He works at the main campus at Leahy Hospital and Medical Center and also serves as the medical director at Leahy's New Hampshire satellite clinic at Parkland Medical Center. He, the reason he's on the show today, we're not going to be talking about anything urology specifically. He is the CEO of WellPrepped, a doctor-to-patient content distribution system. Their mission is to make our lives easier by enabling us to share content with our patients. Dr. Keynes, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. We've been actually trying to schedule this for about six months because we're both so busy. We finally at long last, we're here. Can't at long last. I tend to record in the evening when my kids are asleep, but your kids are a little older, so they're all awake. So there was like no overlap, but we asked. We finally threaded that needle. We finally did it. So tell us the well-prepped origin story. And we'll get into more detail about what it is specifically, but I think the origin story will help our listeners to conceptualize what it is. Sure. So as you uh, mentioned in the intro, I'm a practicing full-time urologist. Most of what I do is robotic surgery. There are aspects of being a practicing doctor that they don't tell you about in medical school. When we wanted to do this job, this profession in the first place, sometimes we don't imagine what it's like once we actually arrive at the destination that we're so happy to get there. But you know, there's the arrival fallacy. Yes. The arrival fallacy. I'll be happier if or when. Yeah. So it was around seven or eight years into practice. You know, the first five years for me anyway, was incredibly exciting. The challenge of surgery, the joy of surgery and patient interactions, the newness of everything, the 
there's some uncertainty. How are things are going to go? Are they going to go well? Then they go well. Well, I wonder about complex cases. And then those start going well. I reached this point. I was burnt out for sure. I felt much less engaged. It used to be that I would never forget any of my patients. I could see them in the mall five years after operating on them, pick them out in a crowd like instantly. And it started to happen where I saw- Even with pants. Even with pants, even fully clothed, <laughs> even fully clothed. I mean, if their bladder was walking on the street, I could pick it out and say, <laughs> but I, you know, a couple of times I had some patients that I had recently operated on come in and didn't recognize them. And I, that started to bother me. Am I less engaged than I used to be? I also pinpointed one aspect of routine day-to-day clinic that was driving me crazy. I do a lot of prostate cancer. And I was explaining the Gleason score to a 68-year-old engineer. And I had given this spiel hundreds or maybe thousands of times at this point. And it was, it, I had like a driving to work in the car moment where I, you know, I got to the end of the thing and I didn't, I was having an out of body moment, completely on autopilot, reached the end of this. And it wasn't that it, I was a bad explanation, but it was just a feeling of disconnect. And I thought, God, this is not what I imagined that I would be. How is this me? Like, this is not. I really do honestly enjoy talking to patients and developing a bond with a patient and sitting with them face-to-face and developing trust. I love that. And I love being present with another human being. I really do. I just felt like this is the opposite of being present. Hitting, hitting autopilot is like the exact opposite of that. So you and I have discussed this in the past, that we can't find a better word than spiel for this. But spiel, like these are the, this, I mean, that literally translates to story. A spiel is a story. And it's a Yiddish word. It's not an English word. It's Yiddish. I mean, for people who grow up in the Northeast, like they're used to that word because there's so many Jews around. So my, I have a challenge for my listeners. And the challenge is if you can come up with a better, if you can come up with an English word that describes these, you know, these spiels that we come up with, that we say to our patients over and over. If you can come up with that, I will send you a Yeti, a physician's guide to doctoring Yeti Tumblr. So just email at, email Brad at physician's guide to doctoring. If you can come up with a better word or not a better word, but an English word that's better than or equivalent to spiel for describing what we're talking about. Cause that's, that's what we do. We have these spiels that we end up on autopilot and we say over and over. I want to know I want to know an alternate word as well. Sometimes I get lost in my Northeast myopia. I did undergrad and medical school and everything. I've been in the Northeast. There must be parts of the country where you say spiel. They'd be like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. That was a perfect, perfect aside. I'm doing all these spiels and I, and of course, listen, I'm not thinking about starting a company. I'm just thinking like, how do I get myself out of this rut? Another one of my spiels was, this is how you do a robotic prostatectomy. This is what goes on. So I decided I'm going to record uh, a YouTube video, not to post on YouTube and get a million likes, just to send my patients to before they showed up. And I recorded Gleason score and robotic prostatectomy. And I downloaded the NCCN patient guide for prostate cancer, which is wonderful. And I, I asked my secretary, patients that are seeing me second opinion for prostate cancer, please send them this PDF and these videos. 
And I was nervous. I thought somebody's going to get pissed off. Like some patient's going to be like, what the hell? Like, who is this doctor who doesn't want to talk to me, who wants me to watch these videos? And frankly, that never occurred. So patients were very appreciative. Like they come in and one of the first few things they would say, the ones who watched it anyway, would say, doctor's never done that for me before. That was so helpful. You know, I've got some questions. We started with the questions and it was, I'm not saying I fixed burnout. Listen, burnout is like multifactorial, but one, this one little aspect for me anyway, sort of made clinic more enjoyable again for those patients. And not every patient read the PDF and not every patient watched the video, but far more than half did. And I started enjoying things. So I started recording more things and grabbing more PDFs. And my secretary was getting really pissed. She's like, this is too onerous. You know, Linktree for Instagram? Yeah. So Linktree had just come out and now that's like the whole ecosystem of landing page link builders is like a maybe approaching a billion dollar industry now. But I saw Linktree and I thought, God, that would be useful for me to organize my educational resources so that my secretary only has to send out one URL. So that was when the concept was born. And again, I was only trying to scratch my own itch. It was not an entrepreneurial concept at this point, but it was it was helping me so much. I thought, you know, there, either it's just me, and there's a lot of things, by the way, we don't know each other well, but there's a lot of things that in my life that end up only applying to me. So I asked a few urology buddies if they would try this thing, and I made them some Linktree type pages with urology stuff on them. And I said, hey, try this out. And a couple of them printed their business cards with a QR code for that page. They were like, dude, this, this has changed my practice. And so at that point, I, I thought, God, now I'm pretty sure that there's lots of doctors that this workflow might apply to. Not everyone, but you know, I got I to gotta get this in as many people's hands as possible. And so that's where the, the journey started. I'm kind of the same way is that like there might be things that apply to me that I don't know will apply to other people. Like I would never listen to YouTube. If I'm on YouTube, I'm going to watch it. But for a while, I, I'd been convinced by one of my colleagues to actually put my podcast content on YouTube because people sometimes just put YouTube on in the background and it's a way to get more views and downloads. Turned out it didn't work out, but it, you know, it made sense. Not everybody thinks like me. As much as my, I am the avatar for my podcast, not everybody thinks the way I do. And so it, it's important to run it by those other people. So you got you got buy-in for them. When did it like coalesce into like company, a startup? Yeah. So some of this, I have to admit, is only clear in the rearview mirror. I do not want to make it sound like I had it all figured out. And, and in fact, if there is any budding entrepreneurs in as part of your listenership, I want to just put out one word of encouragement, which is nobody has it all figured out, but you just, the, the difference is to just start moving and just start doing something. The, the forward momentum, once you start, it just kind of snowballs. So what I did was, I first of all, I started voraciously listening to entrepreneur, small business, startup, and software podcasts. And I became somewhat 
manic in that respect. I was listening in every commute at 2x and sometimes 2.5x speed consuming these podcasts about software development and all this stuff. I briefly thought, oh, I'm going to learn how to code. Thank God I decided not to do that. I vetted five or six developer agencies, offshore groups, trying to find someone who could, you know, I was able to wireframe roughly what I wanted to do. And I had a concept that was going to be similar to Linktree, that doctors could build their own pages, that they wouldn't have to start from scratch. They needed to be able to set up an account and have this all on their own. I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted in my head and then vetted these companies and started uh, bootstrapping the development of version one. And I have to tell you, it was sort of like what I would imagine going to business school was like, except it was just, I was just thrown at it and I just had to figure it out. There's this thing that's often said about starting something. It feels like you're assembling a, an airplane while you're falling out of the sky. That is how it felt. It's it, it just sort of like a never-ending stream of to-do lists and then just keep, keeping on trying to make forward progress. And this is on top of a full-time urolo- urology practice, academic appointment, and a family with five children. Yes, five children and a dog. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, you know, when I hear you say that, I think, what an, I'm such a lunatic. Like, what, what kind of a crazy person would do something like that? I would agree. I have to say, the encouragement from the people that I had tried this ridiculous prototype that I made was, you know, you can't do something like this if it doesn't feel like some kind of higher purpose. I mean, burnout is such a problem. This thing helped me personally. Then it helped some close friends of mine. It's a pretty strong signal that it was potentially going to help other people. And I got to tell you, the college student in each of us who got turned on by medical school and the idea of being a doctor and helping patients, helping other doctors, I mean, you probably know because you have a podcast that does that. So I wonder if this resonates with you. But when you get people saying, hey, what I heard on your podcast, like it totally changed something for me. It flipped a switch. Probably feels really good. It felt as good to me for someone to say, hey, I tried your software thing. And even though it's early days and it's glitchy and buggy, like it's really cool. And I like really helped me. My clinic is more enjoyable. It's less of a grind. That's all I kind of needed to work on this. And in the spare time that I had to work on it, it felt like it was fun. It's mode. It becomes fulfilling. It becomes less grinding and more like, oh, great. What can we do to make it better? What can we do to help more people? What can we do to get it out, to get it out to more people? Although there was something that you mentioned before the before we started recording that you recently went to a conference and you had this like unforeseen experience with some of your colleagues. Now that you're like you had a booth. You yeah, had a booth. so I had a booth at a conference. So here I am a urologist. I've been to the American Urological Associating Association meetings for more than 20 years as a participant, as a doctor participant. And now all of a sudden, I'm at a meeting and I have a booth. Am I a doctor participant at the meeting or am I now on the industry side of things? Is it possible to walk a fine line between them? And so it's just an eye-opening experience to be straddling those two personas. It, It can be very easy and obvious and it can be somewhat challenging. 
but you're like you had some colleagues that that looked at you in a different way. Yeah, I mean, it it could be me being overly sensitive. I I think a lot of my colleagues are are just really rooting for me, and they are energized by my own enthusiasm around well prep, and just are one hundred percent supportive. I I feel like there are some occasional colleagues who really don't interact with me anymore in the way that they used to. And um, I'm not uh, totally sure why that is, but that is a risk uh, when you uh, pour, start to pour your heart and soul into something different from what most doctors end up doing. And you really put yourself out there. I mean, it, it, I, I'll keep drawing parallels to a podcast because I think it's very similar. You're putting yourself out there to do something that is unusual or, you know, in the minority compared to the standard path for most physicians, in order to do it well, you really have to be committed on on every level. And some people are going to take kindly to it and others won't. Like you you should stay in your lane and any time not spent working towards honing your craft, you're stepping outside where you should as a physician. And, you know, clearly we're not on the same page with that. We don't believe in that. We think that doctors should not be staying in this narrow lane that we have expertise and we have we have contributions to make that could be completely unrelated or peripherally related to medicine so i think you know you thought outside the box you're creating this product that's outside the box that isn't has nothing to do with what you were taught in medical school or residency and it's making physicians lives better and it's making the patient's lives better because the ones that are consuming that content prior to the doctor's visit, they're now able to have more nuanced discussions. They're like, you know, the challenges of informed consent is how much can we really explain to patients so that they really understand the risks, they really understand the recovery. You know, it's impossible to get inside their heads and know what they really understand. But this takes us a step closer to that, to having these more in-depth and, and, and nuanced discussions and helping their understanding, which for us is more intellectually stimulating and therefore more, more fulfilling. Exactly. Exactly. So we've been kind of dancing around it a little bit. Let me, let me just give like a one sentence thing, like what is WellPrep? What is it? Yes, please. So WellPrep is a simple app. It makes clinic less tedious. It by basically allowing doctors to share information with their patients before they arrive. And so you can put your energy into the best part of being a doctor, which I think is the one-to-one patient interactions, instead of repeating your spiels over and over and over again. And the, the contention is that that's the part that maybe feels more robotic and less, less doctory. So that's what it is. So there are going to be some people that say, well, you know, if we're going to be investing in this, then I want to know what my ROI is going to be. Now, you've made a good ROI for why it's good for the patients and good for the doctors. But have you been able to see more patients per day? Like, are your visits therefore shorter and therefore there's a financial ROI there? Right. So that's a great question. We have a couple of well-prepped users who actually are starting to study that. So I can't, we don't have any published data yet. So I can tell you anecdotally from the users who are using it now, they say that the new patient, I mean, now I'm going to sound 
foolish. I'm going to try and take an ENT topic. The the new patient with dizziness, which used to take 30 minutes. Those are the longest, yes. <laughs> okay. So used to take 35 or 40 minutes. I can now do in just as thorough of a way in 15. That's ridiculous. That like, yeah, that, but they're really getting that much shorter. Uh, yeah. If you want. Now, I should say a couple of things. A couple of things are worth clarifying. One is sending this information to patients is not necessarily instead of talking to them. It's so that when you are talking, you're having a better, more in-depth, more unpredictable, personal conversation. So that's one thing. And the other thing that I think should be emphasized is there's a difference between efficiency and productivity. Productivity is kind of a choice. Like some doctors want to see as many doctors, as many patients, excuse me, as possible during the day. That's a productivity decision. And I, I'm not making a judgment on that either way. I, in my own practice, I don't use this in order to see more patients. Efficiency, the way I look at it, is just doing the same thing with less work. It should feel less taxing. So you could take a tool like WellPrepped and use it to see more patients in a day or see the exact same number you're currently seeing and, enjoy, and maybe be happier doing it. That's more what I'm aiming for. You know, I think we, we really want doctors to be happy if we're in, a, you know, whether it's an academic practice or private practice, you want colleagues who are going to decide to stay in a place for their career. If nothing else, then it's incredibly costly to lose a doctor, but also because if you enjoy your colleagues, you know, you'd like everyone to stick around. Um, you don't want people just churning and burning through as many patients as they possibly can see in a day. Um, so I don't want this to be used for evil, but, but yes, <laughs> but yes, but yes. Can I, can a new patient that previously took you 40 minutes take a lot less? Of course, because yeah. the patient's starting by doing homework at home before they show up. So something that we talk about on the show is the most important, some of the most important things in life, if not the most important things in life are experiences and relationships. Viewing the patient, doctor-patient interaction as a relationship is hard when you're just saying the same things over and over again. And it's much easier to perceive it and treat it like a relationship when each interaction is a unique experience for you as the doctor. I mean, it's a unique experience for the patient every time, but for us, it's going to be more likely to be unique if you've covered the monotonous stuff, the rote stuff oh, already, and then you're able to go into concerns that are unique and misunderstandings and understanding that are unique to this particular patient. So that's going to foster a more of a relationship than it's going to make it a more fulfilling experience. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. And actually, while you're talking, I was thinking it's sort of like a discussion, like a podcast discussion that what's enjoyable about talking to you is I don't really know what you're going to say next. And, you know, I'm really listening to what you're saying. And that's what makes it enjoyable. If I'm giving my autopilot thing about BPH and what happens when the prostate gets bigger. I'm not really in tune with our conversation anymore. I've kind of yeah, tuned out. You're not in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You're not there. Another thing that we had talked about 
for well-prepped. Another way that it could be used, you know, I was thinking was like they do at Disney, right? Disney, they're really good at crowd control. They, you don't realize that you're not on the ride. You think you're on the ride, but you're really still waiting because they have you watch a, a little movie while you're in an area with the characters dancing or you know, you're walking through the Millennium Falcon. Oh, and it's so cool. I'm on the Millennium Falcon. Actually, no, you're waiting in line. Just doesn't feel like you're waiting in line because they turned it into more of an experience. And it seems like, you know, there are patients where you can send it to them and they will be watching it at home. But there are also going to be patients that aren't going to watch it at home. They're not going to click on anything, but they might be waiting in your waiting room. They might be waiting for you in exam room. And that seems like another opportunity for to give them a chance to watch a video to watch to learn about what you want them to learn about before the the visit starts i think you're i think you're absolutely right and in a lot of ways we need to start thinking about our entire practice end to end from the moment the patient's appointment is made to the moment they walk out in the same way that other industries do like disney like we really don't think about the details the way you've laid it out. It's actually shocking in some ways to walk into we've never had to. There was never never the economic pressure to do so because there were always patients, right? We've never had. Now there are so many choices out there and people are even being turned away from the healthcare industry. They're moving towards other industries that we won't go there, but we we need to think about this stuff now. There's no question. You know, the concept of waiting also applies to whatever the wait period is between when they get their appointment and when they're going to see you, which um, in urology, I'm sure ENT is sometimes at least a number of weeks. Sometimes in my experience and from hearing from other well-prepped users, the patients are a little bit more okay with that wait because they feel like they've started the visit, you know, the question is how, how can you start building trust with a patient before you ever even see them? I know you're sort of big into sort of social engineering aspects of the doctor patient visit. So just to expand that and well, perhaps not the only solution, but what are the ways that trust can be built from the moment the patient has an appointment in hand? I think that's also important to think about. Well, I think to your point, that's where the videos come in. They yep. see you, they see your, this is another w- where I know the word in another language and I don't speak other languages. Just so I don't want to make it seem like I'm some like highfalutin, like, well, what they say in this country, it's my wife is Swiss. And she, there's this word in Swiss German, which is dialect of German. They say that this person is sympathetic. It, it means sympathetic, right? But you've just got a look and a way about you that you're someone that I trust that I'd want to hang out with. And if you can send a video like to the patient, like, hey, we've never met before. I'm Brad Block. I'm going to be the do- your doctor. You know, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is, you know, you're coming to me because another doctor's di- diagnosed you with prostate cancer. There are a few things that I want you to know. If it's in video form, right? with this sympathetic looking doctor with a cadence of speech that comes with caring, you know, that's relationship building. Totally. And you know, it, we've just emerged from a multi-year period where 
we didn't see people's faces completely with masks. And over that period, I felt like it was even harder to form a bond with patients face-to-face because you don't see the full facial features. You're evaluating their genitals and you don't feel like there's some like, I feel like there are barriers between people that come down when their pants come down. What you're saying is, no, the facial expressions really even in that situation, really matter. My my roommate in in medical school is ENT, and and he every time he sees me now, even twenty five years later, he said, "I still don't understand why you chose the profession you chose." <laughs> my physical exam, I'm looking in their ears, I'm looking in their nose, I'm looking in the way, and there's some stuff. But I mean, your physical exam is. He says, "Watch me undress for my ENT exam," and he unbuttons his top button. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We don't have gowns. We don't have to invest in gowns because everybody's no gowns. A- yeah. So there was something else. There's one more thing before we come to a close here that people are using well-prepped in ways that you didn't expect, that you didn't think of yourself. And you'd given the example of like when a patient's going for surgery, they actually took videos of like the drive to the surgery. Now, I don't advocate texting and driving, right? Hopefully they had someone in their car with them, but, and then they got to the surgery center and they showed you what it looks to like to when you're greeted and where you're going to go next and where you're going to change your clothes. And so helping the, you know, they're so nervous before surgery. And a lot of that is the unknown. So you're taking some of the unknown out of it in a very human way. And sorry, I just answered the question. I no, like, I'll, I'll, I, I'll I love give you some more. I'll give you some more color there, but yeah. So this has been one of the most gratifying parts of this journey for me so far. I had this hypothesis that there were doctors who had never recorded a video before, who once you gave them a delivery mechanism, would start recording some videos. And by the way, not just extroverted doctors, but introverted doctors who would really don't feel comfortable in front of the camera. This has come to fruition. We have doctor users who, they get well prepped, they see the power of, oh my God, this is easy way to share information, who have never recorded videos, who recorded videos exactly like what you're describing, uh, holding their phone on their dashboard because say their hospital surgery center is difficult to find. When you hit this stop sign, go right here. When you pull into the garage and then in the garage, it's this elevator bank, not the other elevator bank. And they exit the elevator and introducing the patient to the receptionist that they're going to see. Now, I can tell you that just something as silly as I, I, I came of age of requiring a colonoscopy for the first time. And there's a lot of anxiety, even knowing what we know in the unknown about that day. And I can just tell you personally, if I had seen a video, you're going to go through this entrance and this is what the waiting room looks like and this is who you're going to talk to. Then you're going to go to this ante room and meet anesthesia. That it it would, my anxiety level would plummet. So it's been incredibly gratifying to watch people take this app in directions that I had never imagined. Amazing. Amazing. So if we want to subscribe, if we want to get involved in, in well-prepped, start using some of the content that you have, creating some of our own content, where do we find it? Where do we find you? 
So well prepped is a deliberate misspelling. It's W-E-L-L-P-R-E-P-T. So the easiest thing to do is go to wellprepped.com and you can try it out for a month for nothing. So if you think it might be something that you want to try out, there's no cost or obligation at all. And it's pretty clear once you get to the site how you can start trying it. And I'm easily reachable multiple different places, but Twitter is probably the easiest or LinkedIn, Twitter, I'm at Keynes David. And I'm happy to help people personally. Like, I think I might want to try this, but I need help getting off the ground. And I've been very hands-on and trying to help individual people out. And it gives me great joy. So the offer's out there. Well, Dr. David Keynes, well-prepped, deliberately misspelled, W-E-L-L-P-R-E-P-T.com. Uh, thank you for what you're doing for the doctors and the patients, and thank you for your time. Thanks, Bradley. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Rabbits builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit PearsonRabbits.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.